the Sacred Gyre Podcast, staying connected to your deepest values as you work for change. I work in healthcare to bring the patient voice into the room where we are making improvements. And as a part of that, I created a high-impact storytelling workshop to help patients and families talk about their healthcare experiences in a way that helps healthcare staff get a sense of what it was like to walk in their shoes. This is important because, when done well, stories help us go beyond statistics to be present with what it is like for a human being to encounter even the most well-intended structural changes to a system. The tagline for the workshop is, Two Facts and a Feeling. It emphasizes having the story centered around what people said and did and what the impact was on you. In my experience, this helps build empathy into the organizational change process and minimizes the potential for defensive reactions in the listener who must not only help build systemic changes, but will be vital to implementing them in a way that lives up to the values the system wants to live by. There is more to it than that, of course, but for my purposes today, I'd like to start there. I have a knack for taking a more complicated story and boiling it down to its essence. I was known for this skill in the 1960s as I participated in the mass movements. The group I was a part of would use me as one person to turn complicated political positions into short slogans, and I wrote protest songs as well. My motivation for writing, indeed for being active in the movements, was my anger at the horrible things I saw going on around me as I grew up. Those were the days of Jim Crow discrimination in the South where violence against black people was ordinary and frequent and rarely interfered with, and rampant discrimination in housing and jobs was common across the country. And as I got into my 20s, I saw the beginnings of what we now call globalization with the attacks on unions, loss of income, and jobs for many working people. One song I wrote criticized the leader of the United Auto Workers for what we thought were actions leading to the negative outcomes. Frazier, go to blank, no more concessions, I wrote. People liked it because it spoke to their frustrations, but it wasn't a part of any real change. This was partly because as much as ordinary workers liked our slogans and songs, they weren't going to join our radical organization or do anything else we wanted them to do. More than that, the song completely missed the complicated position of union leaders trying to react to the changing political and economic circumstances over which they had little control. I got into the mass movements because I wanted to create a more loving world without racism, poverty, and jobs where people were treated like machines. But the song reflected the mindset I wanted to change in the world because it treated that union leader in the old way, as an image to be used for political reasons, not as a human being. I later changed how I wrote. 
One song was sparked by a demonstration outside an expensive department store by women who worked in little factories sewing the clothing made there. Some of the factories were shutting down, and the women sometimes were not paid for all the hours they worked, and the working conditions were poor. I focused more on the what happened and how it affected them approach after listening to them talk about their experiences. Marching down the sidewalk, they are shouting loud and clear, picket signs held up for all to see. And the tremble in their voices could be anger, could be fear. Each one has another place to be. They've covered up their faces, for the camera's no friend. Mother's wages go to pay the rent. Through the fear of being fired, they are marching to the end. All is one, their tired shoulders bent. The song does refer to the uh, bosses who own the factories, which doesn't capture their predicament, but most of it is a description of the women's lives. The ending was, So as you wear the lovely clothes these working women made, take some time to think about the cost. I sang it at a meeting to build and solidify support for the demonstrations, and a couple of the women came up afterward to thank me. You told our story, they said. It was because I was moving toward that basic premise that motivates my current high-impact storytelling that gave the song real value, I think. It was more aligned with the values of building a loving world that I wanted to help create. Part of the reason I evolved from that 1960s song to the high-impact storytelling workshop was a number of other people's workshops I took that helped me to learn new ways of practicing the skills I aspire to. One of those was a series of workshops in nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg and by people who had been trained by him. Now, I am not an expert in nonviolent communication, and it is not my intent to teach you about it. You can find his books and courses by those who make a living teaching his concepts, beliefs, and skills online or in bookstores. I am talking about my experience because I learned something from him in a way I never expected. Marshall passed away in 2015, unfortunately. He is someone whose work and life I look up to. In addition to teaching a more peaceful way of being with each other, he practiced what he preached, working with people, at times, who were literally warring with each other physically as well as verbally. He took great risk at times to help others find peaceful ways forward in living with conflict. Greatly oversimplified, he taught that violence was the result of unmet needs and that to get your needs met in a loving way, you needed to learn how to say what happened, how you were a feeling as a result of what happened, the needs that were not being met in the situation, and how to make requests related to getting those needs met. But he also taught how to ask others respectfully to give you that same information in a way that would help you understand their unmet needs and for the two of you to work out how both can get their needs met in a way that honored each other's feelings and needs. Learning and living by these teachings requires an inner transformation for the individual 
and I think deep culture change for an organization to follow them consistently. To offer his insights in workshops, I think, presented challenges because you can't learn how to react this way consistently in a few hours of a workshop. It takes practice and a steady commitment over time. At one point, I was watching a video of Marshall teaching a class. Now you have to understand that back then, he used puppets to illustrate what he was teaching. There was the giraffe who represented how one felt when treated in a loving way, and the jackal that represented how one felt when they thought they were being mistreated. I thought it was a gentle representation of human inner life that might help people be more likely to adopt the mindset. At one point in the video, after teaching the basic skills, he put one of the puppets on each hand and set up a scenario to invite people in the audience to try practicing. A man raised his hand and made his response, and Marshall waggled the jackal doll toward the man and went, I was startled. How humiliating for that person, I thought. To me, Marshall was not living out his own values in that moment. The man looked embarrassed and turned silent, and Marshall asked for others to try. I honestly don't remember the rest of the video because I was trying to sort out my feelings over what had happened and reconcile them with my deep respect for this amazing human being. I realized later a couple of things. For one, I had idealized Marshall in a way that wasn't altogether healthy. He was an amazing person, and he was also human like all of us. I was doing neither him nor myself any favors by acting as though he were some perfect guru. My feelings came from my need to have a teacher I could trust to show me a way forward to living my values. He had, and his value for my life did not depend on his being perfect. It was my responsibility to let go of that expectation. Even with my modest little storytelling workshop, I've had to work on my own sense of humility that I am human and that people need to integrate the essence of what I teach in their own time and their own way. It would be all too easy at times to react judgmentally when it doesn't seem like people are getting it. Now, I still have great admiration for Marshall's work and for the things he did in his life. I would, without hesitation, recommend reading his books or taking the courses he developed to anyone who is intrigued by the tiny bit of information I provided here. The only reason for telling you about this experience is to invite you to hold yourself gently as you work to create positive change and to do the same for anyone whose work inspires you, to give yourself and them the gift of understanding and compassion. Living by your deepest values is a journey, not a destination. We will never stop being human as long as we live, and that means being present for and humble in accepting the challenges we face as we do this important work of creating a more loving world. I will say more about this in other episodes, but for now, I hope you take away one thought. It is okay to be your human self and to just try to do the best you can.
listening. If you would like to receive notices about upcoming episodes, please sign up on the contacts page of sacredgyre.com.